Rajiv Chandra. And I am Dr. Amber Miller. In today's episode, we are discussing the good and the bad of overachiever culture, which comes a little bit naturally to you, right, Richa? <laughs> and, <I, laughs> and I see you in your brightness. So how are you dressed for success today? So I had to get into that overachiever mindset and wore this color red. Um, and I think that Amber, you've done this for, I think it was our ambition episode or one of our episodes where you know, you're like, red is powerful. Um, and so that, you know, ambition is on one hand. And then I think that the overachieving is an upshot of ambition. So, you know, it, it made sense. Um, and then to tap into that over part of the achieving, I matched my earrings. And so I've got these red tassel earrings. Um, and I also did a red lip um, with the color amber spice intentionally, because that was in honor of you, my friend. So that's all of the ways I'm overachieving in my clothing. So how did you dress for success? Well, finally, I think it's been a long time since we've been a little bit matchy-matchy in our dress for success instead of contrasting. But um, I, too, as I was leaning into overachiever culture, decided that sometimes at this stage of my life, overachieving is just simply looking put together. <laughs> so I went for my best put together look today and did a little bit extra, um, a little extra makeup, which today is some eyeliner, which I don't always wear. Um, and my extra, I have these really large like metal hoop earrings um, that are probably like they're not 80s-esque, but they're very large, um, which kind of matches with your large tassel, tassel earrings um, and just a little bit, a little bit extra today, which I think will, will be awesome for our episode on overachieving culture. Today, we are excited to be joined by Dr. Amanda Goodman, a research scientist at Dow, which is located in Lake Jackson, Texas. Amanda holds a PhD in chemistry from Rice University and has a hybrid role in research and development, where she leads new product development projects for gas treating and leads the R&D lab and personnel. She previously worked on a new product development in the areas of wax inhibition, subsea insulation pipe coatings, and enhanced mineral recovery. In addition to her core role, Amanda leads North America R&D, PhD recruiting for a business, co-leads the STEM steering team, and previously served on the Women's Inclusion Network steering team. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here with you both. Well, we're really excited. We're going to cut right to the chase um, and ask you the question that's, you know, the title of the episode. Are you an overachiever? I absolutely am an overachiever, and I have always been one. Anything that I work on, I put my full effort into it, accomplish it, accomplish it, and then feel like I need to do more. You know, from reading challenges in elementary school to my job now where I do my main R&D role, but I tack on a myriad of additional projects and responsibilities, which you heard some of in my bio, it really becomes a juggling act. And I think the main thing is that I do tie a lot of my personal sense of worth to my success. And I think that right there is a hallmark of an overachiever. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about even how you and I met, which was through the ACS group. And, um, you know, yeah, so you didn't even have that on your list of many things that, that you do. And then, you know, I'm sure that the list just goes on and on and on. Well, and Richard, are you an overachiever? I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> 
Other people would say I, I am an overachiever. I've been told that, you know, since I was a kid, you know, even by, by my mom, she was like, oh, you always overstudy. You always like overdo it. And, and I think it's the whole thought of, you know, what Amanda was saying. It's tied to my sense of self-worth as well. And then, you know, I have, I'm projecting it on my kids for sure. Cause I always tell them shoot for the stars and land on the moon, right? You know, like just go crazy, you know, do a lot. And then, you know, wherever you land, then, you know, you can be okay with it because you're still going to be, you know, at, at the top of your, your game still. How about you, Amber? Yeah, I don't know. I was laughing because I was thinking as Amanda was kind of explaining how she, all of her ways of being an overachiever, I remembered starting at my, at the job I'm at now at Bethel for Fortis and getting those like 30, 60, 90 day goals and thinking, I bet I could get all of these 90 day goals done in 30 days, right? Like let's knock this out and be, and be done, right? So I guess that right there is kind of the epitome of, of being an overachiever, right? And overachieving. So, so what do you think on like who or what creates this overachiever culture and is it a bad thing? Oh, I think many things contribute to an overachiever culture. It's nature and nurture. I think some of it is tied to a personality that you're born with. You know, there's research that suggests that firstborns are more likely to be overachievers. I think some of it is how you were raised. You know, Rita, you're saying that you're projecting some of yours onto your children and your comment about reaching for the stars and landing on the moon reminds me of something that my dad would always say to my brother and I when we were growing up is that we needed to be circles, not squares. And so we needed to achieve in all areas at once. We needed to achieve academically. We needed to achieve playing a sport and we needed to achieve musically as well to the point that you know I played piano when I was growing up and my family relocated to Australia for a few years and we didn't move our piano with us so I had to pick up a new instrument because I couldn't go those couple of years without also achieving in that space so I think some of it is were you raised by an overachiever who set high expectations that they held you to as well um, some of it is our society and our American culture. And I think there's been a lot of articles about this, about social media and things like Instagram, where people are only showing their best selves on those platforms. And people are watching those, they're watching the reels and they're popping up just over and over showing, this is my best life that I'm living. And they, I think it can create a sense of underachievement in the people watching it. So I, I guess your question too about is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think it can be both. I think on the good side, it can push us to achieve more than maybe we felt like we were capable of achieving. I think it becomes a bad thing when, like we talked about it being tied to your sense of worth that you start really feeling negative about who you are and that failure becomes not a part of the learning process, but a commentary on who you are as a person. And I, and I love that because with the failure, I mean, we have these conversations about just in science in general, especially for people considering PhD programs and, and moving on in research and how much 
in that research area, like so many parts of your daily job is negative in terms of experiments not working, data being negative, just all of this is like, it can be very negative. And so if you equate like your success at work or your success in your experiments performing how you hope they, how you hope they'll perform or doing what you want them to do and and it doesn't work out that way if you tie like yourself your sense of self-worth to that that it can be very defeating right and that if that's kind of your personality or um mindset that that PhD programs may not be be for you right or they'll be extra challenging and you need to kind of be aware of those things so that you can do additional or have additional outlets to make sure that you're not getting like drug into this negative place because of all of the negative data that comes along with being a part of science. And two, when you're in academia, so much of your future career potential is tied to your success of those experiments and your success at being able to publish those experiments. And people aren't publishing their failures. That's not that's not the culture, right? And something that I found in, interesting when I moved into industry is that when you're in academia, your projects are tied to grants, and you work on those projects almost no matter what. That so you're working to achieve them. And in industry, your projects are tied to many more factors that all can cause projects to stop for all kinds of reasons. So to your point, Amber, if you're tying your sense of self-worth to that project, and if that goes away for one of a hundred different reasons, that can be detrimental. Something that one of our network groups started here at my company was a, a failure seminar series. And they bring in leaders from all over the company to talk about failures that they've had in their career and what they've learned from it and how that's made them better from their failures and that it to try to create a culture here that it is okay to fail we learn and grow from that and you shouldn't try to one hide your failures or feel personally demotivated by that. Yeah, and I think that's that's important, you know, um, kind of separating, you know, drawing a line between, you know, how you take, you know, those successes, achievements, or failures, and apply it to, you know, who you are and what, what you stand for, right? It's more about how you respond to either one. Um, one of the things that we came across um, in our research was, you know, it's kind of an honor roll hangover. You, you know, you were talking about the instrument stuff. So I totally get that, right? Like, same thing, you know, so I think we had similar childhood, you know, experiences in that. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's addictive, right? And with, with all addictions, right? Like, you know, if you're addicted to those, you know, feelings of success, et cetera, that's where the over over part comes in, right? You're overachieving because it's it's you know that's the the negative part of it, and then that's when the failure also feels like those lows that people have when they have addictions, right? So being balanced in in our responses to both achievements and failures, and you know you know not just kind of it's good to I think celebrate and and enjoy those moments where we're achieving things, but you know not like you know, just kind of not wallow or the opposite of wallow, what would it be? Um, 
to bask in it, I guess, like over bask in it. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's about like kind of leveling out our, our emotional responses to it. I've never thought about it that way as an addiction, but what you're saying makes perfect sense and I can see it as that. And what are your thoughts about overachievers that are in leadership positions? I think that's really twofold, just like we were talking about the, if an overachiever culture is good or bad. I think on one hand, overachievers and leadership positions can have a great impact on the group or the business's performance and really drive the organization to success. But that drive can also cause challenges. Many times overachievers are drivers and they hold themselves to extremely high expectations and often expect that same level of expectation from those around them. So when they work or lead other drivers and overachievers, that works out great. You know, you find a rhythm with that person and you accomplish great things together. But for those with different work styles and priorities, an overachiever leader can make them feel like they will never be able to live up to those expectations. And that can be really demotivating. So understanding how to motivate a team of diverse individuals and patience for those differences of differences in style is really the challenge, I think, for overachievers. Yeah, I like that too, because I think I struggle I struggle with that, I think, with the younger generation in a sense that I'm just like, why are you not doing all the stuff you're supposed to be doing? <laughs> why are you not working harder, showing ambition and motivation and, and doing some of those things? And I think it it takes a lot to, to be able to step back and think of things from a variety of perspectives, but also to just realize you know, like we all try to do on a regular basis. Not everybody goes about things the same way that we do. And that doesn't make it bad. It's just trying to appreciate, right, the strengths of each individual. And like you said, how to motivate and lead them um, is challenging when they don't align with how you work and process, right? So I can appreciate that. And something, I guess, a little bit controversial that we, we came across, I don't know if it's, con- it's not controversial, it's extreme as well, but um, that, that overachievers might be more rule followers, um, you know, and because of that, they, they, okay, this is the controversial part. They may peak earlier, um, whereas the creative, more flexible thinkers can still grow. And, and Amber and I were discussing that, um, you know, is that actually true? Are overachievers, like, you know, are they, I mean... Oh, I guess I should do some honest self-reflection on that. I, I do follow the rules, but um, I don't know if I'm obsessed so much that I can't be creative. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about that? I've never heard that, actually, whether overachievers peak early. It's a good question. Um, and I think for me, I guess, as we're reflecting on this, it's I have a tendency to try to do too many things at the same time. And that's part of like my overachieverness is I want to be able to to be good at all the things that I don't need to be good at. Like I want to be good at gardening and knitting and cross-stitching and doing all the crafts and, you know, work and, and everything. And so because of that, like sense of it, there's a lot of creativity that allows for easy pivots between things. So for me, it's like 
uh, pros and cons of the, oh, this isn't working so well, or I'm not in the right space to do this, so I'm gonna focus on this, right? And having that ability to bounce back and forth and be flexible and creative. But yeah, so I'm not, I think for me, I could see the flexibility and creativity leading to maybe better longevity or better ability to adapt and mold and shift to the different priorities of the company, the different responsibilities of the job, and that leads to more growth potential. But I'm not sure if I'm like set on the overachiever being less able to do that, I guess, is kind of where my hang up with the, the, the kind of study is, I think. Is I'm not sure rule following is all that bad. <laughs> you know, that was the other aspect. And then the whole thing, the other part was that Overachievers are obsessed with rule following so much that they don't trust their own decisions. I, I don't know. No, I don't agree with that. I think, Rich, I agree with you in terms of like some rule following is not bad, but I think there's like the difference between just doing exactly what you're told and questioning why we're doing stuff or even just thinking about like, well, I know I was told to do this, but this doesn't really make sense. Or when we think about it, why are we actually doing this and not being able to do that, I think can limit your growth potential too, or even just the potential of a group as a whole, right? Because everybody's human, we all can make mistakes. And if people are too either scared or don't care enough to kind of voice those opinions or their thoughts and ask those questions, then I think it limits the potential of you as a person or the group's progress. And so, so I think, again, as with everything, right, we, we, we want to live in the gray area, right? Not too far one way or the other without rules, they would be complete chaos. But is that true? I don't know, you know, either. So you know. from the overachievers peaking early, I think that by nature of being an overachiever, you'll figure out some way to overachieve and overaccomplish that. That if there is some creativity that is or is not lacking, you will find some way to compensate for that. I think that is who overachievers are. I like that too. But then I wonder, do, do they peak out? Is there more burnout in the overachievers? And maybe that's, like, maybe it's not peak, but we, like, go too hard and then we just like fall do do they have a tendency to burn out and fall out and then recover from I guess are we able to recover from that I mean I think all of us clearly would be able to recover from that but I don't know if that's the global tendency right I don't know yeah I could definitely see how there could be burnout but does that then result in failure or that is resulting in personal stress, detriment to your health. I think there's different ways that that burnout can exhibit itself. That's true. And then, you know, the other, there's like so much tied up in this, right? Like when we're thinking about leadership positions, like rule following, rule making, right? Like there's that. And, you know, if, what if we use a different word than rules? I like guidelines. You know, I like having structure, you know, to, you know, either, you know, maybe because it's the professor part of me, you know, I'm used to giving like, here is the breakdown. And this is, these are the exact, you know, guidelines and rubric, etc. And, you know, I, I like being given something like that as well, you know, to, so I know what metrics there are and how I'm supposed to achieve. But at the same time, like what you're saying, Amber, it's not that I wouldn't want to, you know, if I disagree with something, I, I wouldn't want to change those rules, right? Like change those guidelines, but they need to be there. <laughs> like, 
everything needs to have that, that. And I definitely feel, I don't like things to be, you know, I'm not perceiving. I'm very, what's the, the, Judgy, uh, you're judgmental, right? Judgmental. Even that's not really judgmental, but that's what it's called. Right. I was just thinking ENT, whatever. I was just thinking Myers-Briggs too. Right. And clearly you're very much in that, like, you want that, but that stresses some people out, right? Having that is can be very inhibitory and not productive for people, right? It's it feels very constricting and then they aren't able to function. So again, right, like that's what you want and you need to be successful. And I'm not saying there aren't overachievers who are less structured. I don't I don't know. Maybe most of the overachievers fall into this high performance, like structured the the J the J category. Um, because I think it sounds like the three of us are kind of similar in in that uh along that line. Okay, well, we've been talking a lot about like all the things that can be pluses and minuses about, you know, being an overachiever, but we did touch on, you know, this kind of concept of holding yourself to impossible standards and essentially giving in to the overachiever can come, you know, to the detriment of personal and professional goals and satisfaction. And it may even, you know, boundary on destructive, right, personality. We don't want that. So what is your advice on preventing, you know, kind of the downside or the downward spiral of this overachiever culture? There are two pieces of advice that I've received from mentors that I always keep in the back of my mind. So one is that if your presence doesn't have an impact, then your absence won't make a difference. And so that reminds me to show up and be present. And if I'm going to spend time on something, then to make it a meaningful contribution to not overcommit myself and make the things I commit to count. So maybe that can seem like that's pushing me to be more an overachiever. But really, I think it's pushing me to figure out where do I want to overachieve and not overprescribe myself. And so that goes a little bit to the second piece of advice as well, is that in life, you will always be juggling a lot of balls. Some of those balls are rubber and some of those balls are glass. And to figure out which ones are rubber and will bounce back if you drop them and which ones are glass and will break. You cannot possibly juggle everything all of the time. Eventually something will drop. So that advice reminds me to keep the parts of my life that are most important to me, like my family, at the forefront and ensure that I put time and energy there. And in general, to better prioritize and to consider when new opportunities arise, whether or not I have another hand for juggling. I like that. The the rubber balls and the glass balls, that that's like a perfect metaphor. Um, you know, and one of the things that, that we came across, which I, I like, and I think I'm trying to live it right now because I'm heading into vacation mode, right? So you, you came back from your trip and I'm, I'm heading out, but yours was work. Um, you know, how, how can you take one imperfect step today, right? Like asking yourself that. So that's, I think for me, the, the rubber ball, just drop it, right? Like, so that you don't have those moments of burnout, right? And, and I have been doing that so beautifully. Like I've been checking out, like slowly out of multiple things, you know, I put up my auto response for being on vacation on Friday, even though I'm not even out of town so that no, there's nothing additional coming up, you know, and I can start dropping those things and, and only deal with the glass balls. Right. And so I, I do, I do love that metaphor. 
that just really spoke to me when that mentor said that to me. And I think the other thing is that sometimes life will find a way to make you stop and reevaluate. I've had a lot of personal changes over the last two years that have made me reevaluate what's important to me and how much of my personal time and energy that I give to my job and my career. Someone told me once that your job will take everything of you that you're willing to give. What you have to figure out for yourself is what are you willing to give? And that's what I've been doing a lot of soul searching for lately. Yeah, I love that. And it kind of reminds me of this. I I listened to the audiobook, A Year of Less, right? And and one of the things that really stuck with me besides like wanting to not spend any money was this concept of she kept talking about like the person she wanted to be versus the person she thought she should be, right? And I remember her cleaning out her wardrobe because she had all these suits from an old, you know, corporate job that she no longer had because that's the person at her age she thought she should be. But it wasn't who she wanted to be or who she was comfortable in. And so I think for me, that also really stuck with me on this we often internalize a lot of things that we feel like we should be doing these things or we should be like this, or at this stage of my life, I should have all of these things figured out. And I've been doing my best to throw that stuff out the window and be like, who cares, right? Who who do I want to be and how do I focus on being that person and doing those things that I think are, are important? Um, and so that kind of lines up with some of that whole prioritizing what's important and, and just, again, maybe a different way to think about how to do that, right? Because we hear it a lot, right? Learn what's important to you and, and do those things. But it's definitely one of those easier said than, than done kind of concepts. Absolutely. The soul searching is always difficult. So Amanda, speaking of overachieving, um, and we're adding a little bit of fun and spice. Um, and, and I didn't send you this prompt um, on purpose because it's supposed <laughs> to be impromptu. Um, so we want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better with some rapid fire questions. Um, you know, so Amber's going to time me for a minute. Okay. So we're have one minute. I'll okay. ask you quick questions and then you just respond with, you know, whatever comes to your mind. Um, and we'll see how many we can get through. So are you game? All right. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Amber, you, you'll just hit start when I go. Yep. Okay. All right. First one, dogs or cats? Dogs. What scares you? Part of this discussion, failure. (laughs) What's your favorite type of ice cream? Chocolate. Good one. Current favorite binge-worthy TV show? I just watched one. Oh, gosh. I'm watching Anatomy of a Scandal with my husband right now. It's very fascinating. Add that to my list. Um, what is not a big deal to most, but is torture to you? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> That's a really hard question. It's Amber's. <laughs> Can I ask you back? What is yours? Um, what is torture to me? Gosh, I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, Amber, you go. Cause it was that's, just- a, that's our time. I, the first thing that popped into my head is putting my laundry away. Like, it's probably not a big deal to most, but I absolutely hate it. Like, I can put the stuff in the drawers away, hanging out my clothes for whatever reason. Like, if I could just leave them in a pile forever, I probably would, like, to be honest. But I can't. 
similar emptying out the dishwasher. Actually, <laughs> yes, I agree. mine's the other, the opposite. It's loading. I don't mind unloading. I don't want to load the dishwasher. <laughs> With you, I I don't mind loading it. It's that oh, they're clean and I have to put them all away before I can put more stuff in the dishwasher. The dirty ones pile up. <laughs> Like, and it's constant. No, I have to find a rhythm with my husband. Like, I cook, he cleans the dishes, and I can unload the dishwasher. I just don't want to load the dishwasher. I love it. I love it. Well, we have one last question for you, which is how can our listeners connect with you? Your listeners can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the best way. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll put your, your LinkedIn um, in the episode notes below along with the research that we did. And we'll hear hopefully from our listeners about whether they find uh, some of those statements controversial as we did about overachieving and rule following. Um, but thank you so much, Amanda. We had a lot of fun in this conversation. Thank you, ladies. I had a lot of fun too. On the next episode of WiseCast, we will be discussing failing which we never do, right? <laughs> Everyone fails, and it can be so good for the soul. So good for the soul, I agree. Thank you as always for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to donate to our cause using the PayPal link in the episode notes and share your love of WiseCast with all your friends. I am Dr. Amber Miller. I am Dr. Richa Chandra.